All right. Hello, everybody. This is Marina, again, your host, Director of Gen Engineering at Jollyvision. I am here today uh, with one of my women CTOs in Chicago, today's guest, and I'm excited to introduce you to Simona Rollinson. She is the current CTO at ISACA. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, um, you know, I'll, we'll start off uh, like I always start off very easily. Um, I kind of want to know a little bit about you growing up in technology and, and who was Simona growing up as a little girl and, and how did you get interested into the field of engineering, software engineering tech? Well, I grew up in a, in a great culture. I grew up in Bulgaria. And the Bulgarian culture actually is uh, very uh, receptive and very stimulating for women in technology. It's actually one of the countries that produces like proportionately most women engineers of any other Eastern European and even European countries. So, uh, so I was uh, obviously born in the right place, the right time. And uh, I was born in a family of engineers. So that paved the way. Um, they encouraged uh, conceptual thinking. They encouraged, uh, you know, mathematics, lots of mathematics, um, good writing. So all those good skills that um, uh, really conducive to a career in technology. Great. And do you do you know why that is? Just the curiosity, like why is Bulgaria produces so many female or women in engineering? Well, first of all, Bulgaria was part of the Eastern Bloc. So generally, you know, during the all the socialist countries, you know, there is truly they were living uh, in a more equal state between women and men. So I, I never knew that uh, women uh, or, or gender plays any role in in education or in success in life, right? So I grew up, first of all, that gender wasn't really a thing that we ever discussed. Um, so women were encouraged to pursue higher education, and there was a lot of um, a lot of stress uh, being, uh, you know, being produced, you know, and put on on having higher education. So we were encouraged to to pursue higher education. Mm. That is super interesting. Very different from what we are experiencing here, perhaps. Uh, totally, I agree with you. I mean, I I have a, a fifteen year old daughter. And uh, I can still see, you know, around the age of 11 and 12, you know, the leaky pipelines of, you know, girls starting to talk that they're not good about math and that she wants to do something else, you know, in her life and, you know, go into the softer subjects. And uh, it just something happens here and uh, we lose them. Do you see, like, what are the differences between, so I guess, what is happening to our our young girls that you see maybe it's different from what was happening to you as a young girl beyond what you have already explained about the circumstances of the culture of Bulgaria? And like furthermore, what are you doing for your daughter, if anything at all, to encourage her to stay in STEM? Well, this is the, the million dollar question, you know, how do you, you know, address those things? Um, uh, first of all, you know, um, I had an opportunity to be uh, brought up by a very strong mother. So um, as a mother, I'm trying to teach my daughter to, you know, to be independent and to fend for herself. Uh, again, um, you got to teach them independence from an early age and also encourage them to... Um, 
to really not perceive success as final. Success is not final, actually, and, and failure is not final, and it's not fatal. It's an ever-evolving situation. So when they get used to uh, not expecting this um, really perfection, we live in a, a very positive culture, which is fantastic, but it's always like, no matter what they do, it's great, it's great, it's great. Well, you know what? It, you gotta work through the situations because life is not linear and they're not gonna always have a safety net. So the sooner you can teach them from an early age and encourage um, ambition, encourage them to stay in the game as opposed to, okay, I'm not good at this, I'm just gonna drop out of this, right? Sort of work through this, right? I mean, if it's super painful, obviously you don't want them to do things that they their personality is not conducive. We're not pushing them in something, but if it's really hard, it's, it's good to work through hard situations early on. Nice, I like that. I have, uh, I have, two, you know, I have two daughters and a kid on the way. I don't know their gender yet, and um, I, I struggle a lot with this in terms of like, like what are the lessons that I want to make sure that I teach them? Not struggle, but like I think about it a lot. Like, what are the lessons that I want to make sure that they learn from an early age to be resilient and independent and things like that. What is maybe a lesson that you take on from your mom being such a strong mother that you have given to your daughter as well? Well, my mom really is, is very interesting. And of course, you know, most women, you know, talk about role models and they all defer to, to mothers, and which is actually a wonderful thing. But my mother um, uh, had a, a fantastic sense of humor. She's deceased. She died last year. She was um, very boisterous and... Uh, she actually has an outrageous sense of humor and uh, she was an organizer. She was always in, in different type of uh, social awareness uh, situations that I grew up around and now it, it, it it's a second nature for me. I'm very civically minded person because of her. But she, she, told, she taught me that love and caring and sacrifice, you know, um, important. Uh, but also uh, independence as well. So um, she also taught me that uh, not to let tradition limit my imagination. I mean, I come from a very patriarchal society. And uh, um, so that's what she taught me. Nice. I like that. And so you're giving that to your daughter as well. And I'm also telling my son that, you know, uh, exactly the same thing. And also that uh, smart girls are cool. I always encourage him. Oh my God, she's she's the bane of my existence. She's annoying me. She's my nemesis. I said that's fantastic. You know, we and like her. We like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's really good. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I I feel like I have a brother, so I feel like he he him and I have a similar relationship where I'm like. Yeah, no, nerds are cool. Girl, like smart girls, smart boys and smart girls are cool. And especially like, you know, thinking about the striking difference and how we raise our boys and our girls in America, I think is super important. Uh, not only the gender of, of uh, not only the role of women and little girls in society, but also like, what are we, what are we teaching boys about, about our, you know, having a relationship with us? Yeah. You know, it's um, somewhere I read, I don't recall very well what the saying was, but it's almost like nobody is better than me and nobody is worse than me. Yeah. It's this type of mentality that uh, you really want to instill from an early age because, again, I don't want them to, to 
grow up with any privilege um, above and beyond, you know, this is uh, unacceptable, in my opinion. I like that. Um, cool. So then um, tell me a little bit maybe about like um, school. So your school was, I'm assuming then, pretty much even, like you were in class with other women. Yeah, co-ed, you know, I was, um, again, um, fairly ambitious child um, in, um, in, in a very competitive situation. I was, um, um, I went to an English language school for my high school. And then um, for college, I, I, I was um, computer engineering in Bulgaria. Then I got a full scholarship to come here to Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. Mm -hmm. Exchange student, and uh, you know, 28 years later, I'm still here. You know, life <laughs> is happening while you're making other plans at John Lennon, and that's uh, never truer than in my life. Um, and then, um, after I graduated from um, you know, college, I uh, I basically grew up through the ranks of uh, Follett, which is um, a company in uh, education creating services and products for K 12. So, yeah, that, that was my uh. That was my uh, uh, early, early career. Yeah. And so at Follett, you stayed for about 15 years. Um, yeah. And that was, you went to, you went started as a senior software engineer and you went all the way up to president um, of uh, the title reads Ops Research Dev and Sales. And so how was that? How, like, so 15 years at one company right now is sometimes unheard of, right? Yeah. How was that for you in comparison to what do you think more technology, like younger generation technologists are doing now? Well, it's how uh, the, the right place at the right time, you know. So, um, for it was fantastic. They provided a lot of opportunities uh, for me. I was uh, promoted every two to three years. So. And, you know, once you reach a certain level, if you really want to go up, you have to go sideways, right? So... Again, you stay on a technical track until a certain level, but a lot of times if you want to go further up, you got to bring up other skills, right? you got to be more of a boundary spanner. Uh, you have to go and grab customer service. You have to understand sales. You have to understand marketing. You have to understand, you know, contracting, vendor management. So it becomes a much more rounded uh, uh, life, right? So. Uh, I was uh, I was very fortunate those opportunities presented themselves and I went for them and I didn't get all of them right so I've applied to a number of jobs and I uh, I didn't get them there was a more uh, qualified or a better candidate at a time than me um, and um, again you know so the one thing that was interesting is that I went for those opportunities so you bench and think you know okay. I'm not good enough or I don't know enough. Well, for sure, you know, but I just went and I probably uh, have a larger share of of um, failures or disappointments than other people. But then in the long run, you know, things are not linear, right? It goes down and down. As... <laughs> right? I like that. And I think like something that I struggle with nowadays, especially with managing my team and things like that, is that it's almost like they wait for for a manager to tell them that they're ready for their next thing or that the manager presents opportunity to them instead of asking for opportunities. 
I wonder, like, how did you identify those opportunities as you went throughout your career at Follett? Like, and, and when did, how did you know it was a good time to do something different? Like, how, how did that happen? You know, the, the saying that when, um, when the student is ready, the teacher will come, right? Well, the teacher will appear. So many a times it's not just about opportunities, but I put a, a special premium on, um, well, I do actually in life, uh, it's people first, you know, um, relationships, right? So I really um, am very careful with my relationships. Some of my friendships are from early childhood, but it's not just personal ones, even professional, you know, you have to build those coalitions. You have to understand, you know, you don't go in alone, right? You're never going alone and say, okay, I'm going to, do that you know you want to have um advocacy or sponsorship or somebody to never go in alone that's one of the, my key key advice is to um people to find those um, those relationships and coalitions and they will open opportunities so again um so i had uh, you know i had mentors even through follet that helped me get to where i am that, that's that's really good because Sometimes we forget that, you know, we need to spend time um, with other people in order to get where we want to go um, yes. and, and do that. And um, and so like and so then you got to and then so you you started as a senior software engineer, as an individual contributor and went and became uh, a manager of many, many people as president. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, even as a uh, CIO of uh, the Cook County government. And I really, I, super interesting how I, I was watching one of your interviews um, that you gave about um, updating the Cook County technology stack, uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, at least a part of it. And that was like a really interesting thing. It's like, did you, did you have any advice for people that are, deciding whether to say individual contributor and or manager and and how to evaluate you know what path to take well it's a little bit like um, declaring major in college right so at some point you have to decide you know if you want to be an expert subject matter expert um, because again you know those are skills you have to work at like it's continuous learning and those skills are becoming and all skills are becoming more and more difficult but you have to be continuously learning and um, you can't be good at everything so you have to sort of decide where your energy will go and and if you have the personality the aptitude um and the desire to to be on a management track then obviously it's it's a choice um, you can go back uh, i'm not saying that it's one and done but it's more difficult because again you know you it, it's hard sometimes to regain uh, some of the technical acumen, you know, uh, when you really uh, let those skills uh, being stale. And that's a point in time. I, I'm one of those examples, right? But I early on decided not to be a jack of all trades and be good at all the programming languages, but I was focused on C++. So at some point after I lost, you know, this edge, um, I decided I don't want to just go back and be a mediocre Java programmer, right? So it's so, almost like 10,000 hours, right? You have to really spend the time uh, to amass uh, a certain knowledge. Yes. I, I really enjoy how, how much thought you've given to these decisions throughout your career. 
I wonder, do you have a failure that you think about that is like a, a good lesson here? Um, what maybe one of your favorites um, that we can talk about, whether a follet, um, yeah, probably a follet would be good. Well, I mean, I have so many failures, you know, I have a long career of, uh, you know, of good moments and bad moments. Now, the, the idea is that, you know, the number of good moments should hopefully supersede the number of good moments. Um, so um, at Follett, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples, one at Follett and one at Cook County. Um, uh, at Follett, you know, I've uh, uh, been in situations where uh, we've done acquisitions that didn't work well and we had to dismantle them. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's a very traumatic time because it impacts people. And my hardest lessons are about... I've had all kinds of failures. I've had failures of technology, you know, the server is down, the website cannot handle the traffic, you have nefarious traffic. Those things, those are good things. You want to learn, you want to get better operationally, but the ones that, that really are most painful to me are when people are impacted, right? When there are layoffs, when there, when there is a change in direction and you can't, you can't save them all. So those are difficult management decisions. Um, and then... Good planning, you know, is uh, is is good, and recognizing uh, your mistakes. And actually, when they say fail fast, uh, they say it in many things. And actually, I agree with this. At Follett, you know, that was one of the things that I learned from our uh, chairwoman of the board at the time. Um, it, I came and I in they and suggested that we uh, divest from an acquisition, and she said you should have. She was very disappointed, but she said you should have come earlier. Right, wow. because many a times, you know, we just I try to fix it, fix it, fix it, and and this is one of those lessons that um, I learned that you sort of have to have the bravery to come up earlier. Nice. One. And then the other one is at Cook County. Obviously, you know, uh, five months into my tenure, we had a major outage. I'm sure if you look at the Sun Times and the Chicago Tribune, you'll find some type of, oh my God, the antiquated Cook County, um, you know, um, technology. Uh, obviously, a lot has changed um, uh, since then, but um, I uh, um, I saw a team that was through, uh, went through a lot of turnover when I went to Cook County. So I wanted to stabilize and sort of heal the team. And I didn't make a lot of changes. I didn't, I, I trusted, I didn't verify trust but verify didn't do that you know so um obviously we've had um a risk a vulnerability that manifested itself and um i could have probably prevented this if i have been much more aggressive but i took a very measured approach because it was a very new environment for me and uh, it was a mistake nice i i really enjoyed that lesson and so i think my question is about now like how do you what do you do once once that happens like what is what have you found is the best approach to go about moving through the mistake well when you're in the middle of the crisis you're fixing the crisis this is not the time to coach people to i mean it's you, you know to have any emotions again it's uh, you know it's a little bit of a you know military operation uh, you have to have the drumbeat, right? You're in the middle of the incident. You, you have to really pull out the operational incident, you know, response plan, and hopefully, you know, you have 
uh, vendors on on call you have legal counsel whatever is the issue you know you move through the through the crisis but don't let any you know a good crisis i'm sure a lot of your people uh, have told you you know don't let a good crisis go you know array so afterwards you try to look at the, the processes operational procedures whether you know we have enough redundancy whether we have the skill sets some of it is about capabilities right i mean um some of the, uh, the capabilities at Cook county at the time were pretty antiquated so they required cobalt programmers and it just it's hard to train find so it's it's a plan that you do after the crisis is done nice I like uh, I like to hear also like what was your emotional response if there was any is like you know like when something when you're in charge and it's happening more and more to me is like nowadays when I'm in charge and something happens to my team is like how you know I think about like first of all emotionally I get into probably a bad space initially right where I'm like oh my god what just happened I am in trouble right but then like you know my response is to like go protective team and figure out what happened but then i have to face my boss too at some point and so that's 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 a thing that is always kind of like owning up you know to the mistake and getting there do you have any suggestions on how to navigate that well i actually i do um how you handle conflict and accept responsibility for shortcoming is key mm. So, uh, first of all, I try not to throw uh, stones when I live in a glass house. Mm. You think, right? Because all of us live in glass houses. So, I should never forget this because if, when I turn and, and try to throw stones in a, at a peer of mine or criticize, you know, it, it's gone. It has happened to me so many times. So, I'm really, really mindful of this and I try to, well, it, it comes also with with tenure and you understanding that um, nothing is forever again, right? Success is not uh, is not final and failure is not fatal, right? Unless you actually die. But um, otherwise, you will be in those situations. So you have to sort of really be professional in those relationships. So that's number one. And second is you actually, have, the buck has to stop with you and that has worked for me. So actually I went to President Prekwinko at the time and I suggested, or it was the chief of staff i suggested that i fall on the sword you know and say i'm gonna resign but let me fix it let me get through the crisis and then i'll resign right because i take responsibility but obviously um she she took a different approach she said you know you didn't create it you're you know only five months into your tenure you didn't create it right it's a, it's a historical neglect of it at cook county so she gave me a chance and five years later it was very different story but uh, again it, it was a lesson for me how to handle this and um, sometimes you have to you know accept the responsibility for the team i'm the chief apologist <laughs> that's what that. chief apologist <laughs> i love that that's really good i find this super incredible that um you suggested um, you resign. Something something similar happened to me recently, and I and I made a similar move to save my team. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, like I I find that awesome. It's like it's like really like I think is like one of those traits that that indicate true leadership versus you know management or just wanting to cover your your ass, like people say, right? So. Um, 
that's very um, admirable. Let's change, um, let's change subject a little bit. And I know we talked about it a little bit before. It's like, as a woman in tech, how maybe maybe like how was your experience affected but then even even more than that is like as an immigrant right because i have an access i'm an immigrant myself i have an accent first like I've, i came here to the southern states in 2009 um and i'm obviously an immigrant and i feel like that's something that people see in me and i know i recognize in myself i was wondering if it throughout your career how that maybe was a strength how was that a strength and a weakness in, in technology and, and how it impacted uh, your positions? Well, um, again, I, I didn't really focus on this. Uh, I've never felt that it's a, a limiting factor for me personally, but I'm very apprehensive myself, right? So I'll be the first one to admit because my my husband is english he has an english accent you know and everybody thinks oh my god how great this is you know that gives him like 20 iq points more even though he has an accent but it's english <laughs> my children you know have american accent and of course the one of my children sounds as if they're from the south like as if they're from alabama and here i am and it's like you guys are related yes we are so um so I'm apprehensive, um, I'm, you know, um, especially if I'm, I, it's not a, also about the accent, it's about expressing what you have in mind. This is for me the, the limiting factor. So especially when I'm writing, I, I try to take extra time because things are lost in translation, especially culturally. Oh, I meant this, but especially when you're under pressure and you're doing like short sentences. And um, I have a story that I often uh, share is, uh, also my handwriting is indecipherable. So <laughs> I will like, write notes and and give them to a business analyst. And one time he just sat there and stared for a while and he asked me, is this Bulgarian? It's <laughs> 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 English. <laughs> Maybe I was meant to be a doctor. and. So again, um, I try to apply a little bit of sense of humor, but again, the um, you know the thing that that has worked for me to overcome this, right? Headwind is um, it's um, I've I've uh, paid my dues several times over, which means high availability. I've stayed in the game, um, and uh, I've had a very supportive family that helped me. Uh, you know, pay my dues and, and work the long hours. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. As a as a woman in tech, um, you're obviously a different generation than 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 I am, and um, and you hear, you know, you're likely hearing, you know, all these things about uh, well, especially having a different concept from Bulgaria is like. Generally, yeah. women are in engineering, and then you come to America. You work in America, and you're like, "Why are women not more like? Why are women not in engineering?" Right? Do you? Um, what do you think about this? Do you have a perspective? And as a woman in tech um, in America, how was that experience for you? Uh, it, it it's super hard here, and uh, for various reasons. Um, first of all, you know, uh, if you want to have a family, you know. 
you have to dedicate time to the family. Many times, you know, um, the commute is long. I mean, I live 36 miles away from um, from downtown Chicago. So when I was at Cook County and afterwards at Clayco, I mean, it's a two-hour commute each way. Yeah. Right? Not everybody. Um, the most expensive commodity in life, you know, obviously is is, is time, right? Yes. So um, I've missed many concerts. I've missed many soccer games. I've made choices, you know, to stop traveling because I was uh, on the road all the time so that I'm closer. I've made choices. So some of those choices have been, you know, opportunistic as well. So I I would never um, ever dare to put myself in anybody else's shoes because I know how complex this is. And especially with the distances here and the fact that there is very little social safety net, you know, I mean, it's you have to have the two incomes and and uh, you have to have uh, an insurance uh, otherwise uh, well you're almost like a hostage of your job because if you don't have health insurance you know it's, it's very hard to to get medical treatment so um again there are a lot of things that are much more complex here than in europe right you're not a hostage of uh, of your job you can actually have a health care if you take a pause and yeah that makes sense and like um and as a woman, have you have you seen like how, what do you what is your leadership style towards maybe other women that are now in technology and growing up uh, under your supervision? So I'm trying to a little bit paid you know forward by mentoring, coaching, involved in in different activities. Um, I'm really uh, so. For example, at Cook County, I I hired a CTO. Um, who is she's still there? She's a city of Cook County, um, who is um, uh, from you know, Asian, Asian background, so extremely qualified and super bright. But again, I try to always uh, find a, a role where a woman can fit, you know, and it's it's easier in the private world because there aren't so many regulations where in Cook County now obviously was much more uh, complex uh, because of the Shackman degree, decree and all the limitations on favoritism and stuff like that but that's a different story so I, I truly uh, try to hire um, diverse candidates possible. Nice, uh, uh, that's really good and you've been a mentor at Chicago Innovation and uh, you've held multiple MOM members, so you've been really like active in um, in what I can tell in like the the, the uh, Chicago, you know, uh, tech world. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what? It's 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 hard right now because again, um, in um, companies are not hiring. Uh, like uh, the patterns have changed, right? Certain industries have been affected by COVID significantly, so. Yeah. The dynamics have changed, so the world like we knew it in December 2019 is different. So there are people out of jobs that are looking for jobs because, again, you know, whole industry segments were uh, affected, including tech. So, um, so I'm trying to really network and um, figure out how to advise people. And that my my goddaughter just came out of uh, of, of college and it's, it's in, with computer science degree, and it's just hard to get a job, right? They say, oh, you know, computer science, it's like the Silicon Valley. Everybody should be able to get a job. Well, no, not really, you know. Chicago's, yeah. Chicago's tech industry is specific. 
Uh, it's very narrow and specific. I agree. I agree yeah. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of work that we need to do in Chicago in order to expand our tech presence to a national level, like the coasts, uh, like the West Coast, East Coast, and and then the the Austins of 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 the nation. Um, but um, I, maybe let's go back a little bit to like um, to being like in tech and being a CTO. What's your favorite part of the job and what's your least favorite part of the job? <laughs> well, I, I, I love technology. I mean, I love everything about, I mean, whether it's, you know, we're talking about disruptive technologies like blockchain or artificial intelligence, just moving to the cloud, just solving big problems, you know, I, uh, I love it. I love the pace of it. Mm. Maybe some people, you know, get intimidated. The many days, you know, I feel like Lucille Ball in the chocolate factory episode, you know, where, you know, I'm eating chocolate really fast, but I do like um, the pace of it. So, um, so that I like the pace. I like the people I meet there. I mean, the people are my favorite part. Um, it's, um, it's, it's incredibly stimulating. You know, they, they, there are so many people that are smarter than me <laughs> that I meet, which is fantastic because I get to learn. Um, you know the old saying, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I believe. <laughs> so, um, I am. I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about the next uh, generation of of technologies, like yourself, and even younger. I think um, uh, people are much more conscientious and deliberate. They're not going to be choosing necessarily the shiniest toy because, again, you know, we IT people uh, we're famous for picking up pet projects. Oh, I'd like to do that because this is such a cool technology and it's very sexy. I think the next generation would be much more conscientious and picking up the safest projects, the safest technologies, technologies with an eye on privacy and um, and, and citizen um, uh, rights. So I I, I think uh, this is all going in the right direction. And in fact, that's why I joined ITACA because we are um, a non-profit association that's yeah, you know, involved in learning and training the next um, generation of practitioners. So I think ethics will play a major role and I think uh, I, I, I'm loving it. Nice. And then I want to come back to the ethics of, of privacy for sure, if that's a topic you're interested in, because uh, I have theories about who owns the data and all that good stuff. I would love to hear your civic side of that. But um, what's a, what's a, what's a, a part of the job of a CTO that maybe you're not, you don't like as much? Like what is something that, you know, somebody is maybe a VP or trying to like move up, what is part of the role that maybe they should be aware of that? It's not as fun. Well, um, it, IT is not a, a, any longer a back office job, right? It's not a support of the business. Um, so, if you are treated as, as, as a glorified service desk, then it, it, it's a problem, right? But IT should have an active seat at the table because it's driving the business, right? But, so that's the exciting part. You want to get much more proactive, but it's also high pressure because people are expecting that technology will solve um, sometimes issues with strategy. And that's for me sometimes is when, when I see that IT is supposed to be the answer to um, more foundational 
strategy problems, business problems. Um, it, it's uh, and the opposite is true. I get most jazzed and, and excited when I'm actually reporting or working for a trailblazer, somebody that has a big vision and we can actually get it done together and quantify and qualify and all the impact of technology as opposed to um you know weak business so that's uh, that's for me the concern uh, with it being the scapegoat and uh, also the answer to things that are much more foundational so how, how can you give me an example of what that looks like in real life and and then how do you deal like how do you deal with that specific uh when the technology is used as as a as a solver for more maybe organizational and strategic issues well it's not easy this is because again it's it's a foundational problem so you sometimes uh, those things uh, are bigger than you i mean i often say that cios and cpos don't decide culture right and you know the old thing by peter drucker that culture it's strategy for breakfast so it may not be even, it, it may not be even uh, uh, the strategy that's wrong it may be culturally the organization is in such a situation that it's not possible to really solve things and they're trying to just throw technology uh, into things that are culturally uh, people have daily and cultural impulses that are unmet so when you're in a situation like this you know you have to really try to approach it with a with a mindset of a um, of a listener and try to understand what's really happening what is what are their daily challenges what is the what are the cultural impulses of, of the organization and then sometimes you need a, a fire to you need you know a big fire which means either external or internal fire right you know you might have to somebody needs to come from the outside you know to to help with understanding that we are so stuck internally sometimes you know it's a different approach but uh, one size doesn't necessarily fit all right so that's why organizations are different right some are wildly successful and others are not right nice and then um what is the reference to culture that you you just mentioned i don't know that peter Drucker. he's one of my favorite you know management consultants he died few you know years so it says culture eats strategy for breakfast oh and what does that what does that mean in real life? It means that you can put the nicest. What is strategy? Strategy is we're gonna get from here to there. We're gonna be get from a paper-based process to you know to the cloud, right? And we're gonna get there in three years. And you put this beautiful strategy in year one. You know, I'm gonna migrate those things. In year two, I'll do that. In year three, and you have the strategy. And culturally, you know, um, you know the organization is uh, rejecting you, right? you're like the virus that the body rejects but you want to be the good bacteria right you want to be the good person that actually influences them to change but they're rejecting you culturally it's like yeah sure those projects will be delayed or we're not gonna be able to get a contract with this vendor i'm gonna put blocks on her oh you know what we're gonna start another initiative somewhere that is completely you know secondary and we're gonna thank her strategy right so Again, culture is a superseding the strategy. I see. Yeah, totally. I I one hundred percent agree. Like, called like culture makes or breaks the company. Absolutely. I agree. I haven't I haven't heard Peter uh, Drucker, but uh, or Draker. I will I will Google it and then grab something from him for sure. 
I know you mentioned like civic initiatives and tech. What is right now some a civic initiative merge tech that you're super interested in and that you're following and something that um, maybe is important to you? <laughs> well, since you interviewed me on the on the eve of elections, you know, obviously that would be something that uh, I can always mention. But again, um, uh, the initiatives that really were near and dear to my heart at Cook County were around criminal justice. And again, you know, these are these are big, lofty goals, right? Those are things that uh, uh, that are wildly important, right? So. Uh, yeah, having good technology in the juvenile detention center or um, having uh, technologies for uh, uh, automated court reminders so that people don't miss their court dates. Those for me are high stake goals. And I really uh, was uh, very excited to be part of this. And, and anything that you can drive the decrease of, um, you know, of, of jail population, recidivism, so things like that uh, are near and dear to my heart. And I'm still uh, continuously following on some of those things. Um. I am super excited to continue to hear about this. I hope you, uh, you post about it or you share with me some of your, some of the things that yeah. potentially us and other technologies could get involved in order to help uh, Chicago overall. That would be cool. There are a lot of opportunities for technology to be uh, even further equalizer, you know, and, and create opportunities. So, for example, you know, we automated the exchange of data between um, the clerk of the circuit court and the jail, right? It's called the Mitimus data. And uh, uh, that's important because it was paper-based, right? If people have my handwriting, you can imagine, you know, mistakes happen, right? So, and it's, it lives depend on this, literally. So, um, so that, you know, I will remember and, and those are things that uh, uh, were important to me. That's, that's really good. Um, quick question for people like me that have no idea about uh, how to join even like a technical job in a government situation or in a government agency, do you have any suggestions or resources that uh, if people are listening and they're like, oh, I want to get involved, I'm in tech, where do I go to apply for a tech job at Cook County? Well, okay, so the US government is pretty complex. It's not like we have like one major portal where I can just send you and give you a double, double, dub, 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 you know, you know, yeah. URL. you sort of have to apply to each individual government right we have local governments we like the city is separate from the county right oh and by the way you know uh, in in the county itself you have separately elected officials mm -hmm. right we, we vote for the state's attorney you vote for um you know the clerk of the circuit court you vote for the clerk of the court so there are like nine separately elected officials on top of uh, of the board of, of, of the county and then you have the city and then you have uh, the state and then you have federal jobs so government you know is an umbrella of uh, multiple municipalities and, and different levels of government so you have to apply separately you have mm -hmm. to go to each of their websites and and apply there and does like chicago specifically have um like a cook county or a city of chicago um job post for tech jobs? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's on the same, you know, I mean, obviously they, the process is uh, more um, regimented. You have to go through this front end. You can't go through the sites. You have to apply when the posting is up, postings up for a certain time, they come down and you've missed your window of opportunity. So you have to pay attention. Now, many of those postings are now aggregated by Indeed or, you know, DICE or, you know, other uh, of the back, uh, big aggregator, um, you know, job sites as well so just pay attention and uh, yeah nice what was that like dice is one of the aggregators dice indeed again i haven't been close to this uh, since i left cook county in 2018 but uh, yeah you can absolutely uh, pay attention and again there are multiple multiple um you know the assessor the treasurer the hospital I mean, uh, Cook County has the third largest hospital in, uh, you know, public hospital in the United States. So those are separate postings, right? And wow. that's everywhere. Yeah, it feels it feels like uh, it's a big machine. Um, but I'll, I'll take a look and I'll, and I'll release some of the links um, yeah. in the post. But thanks, that's helpful. Because sometimes I've thought about like, hey, what if we were doing a tech, tech in government? How would I even, where do I even go to apply? Mm -hmm. or, it feels like I have to know somebody in order to get in sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's not the case. <laughs> that's another, that's great. I'm glad that's not the case. Um, all right, so we're coming here to the end of our interview. Um, it's obviously been a, a pleasure and I have a quick, a, a couple of like quick questions for you and then we're gonna close out with my, uh, with my closing question. Uh, what is a book that you have gifted the most recently or that you like to gift your team that, um, yeah. Well, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, this because I'm a, you know, I'm a voracious reader. So I love reading and I've been very fortunate. The book that I'm going to give you an example is actually not, uh, it, it's an adult book, but it's also a children's book. It's called mm -hmm. The Little Prince by Antoine Saint-Exupéry. I've, I've read uh, The Little Prince, it's one of my favorites. It's uh, it's tiny, but it also, you know, it's, it's about, you know, this prince that visits all these various places, planets, including Earth, and it's all about love and loss and friendship. And why, so, why, why do you recommend that one? Well, because it, it touches the bigger, uh, higher things in life, right? So it, it's life is, uh, we're going to go through this life only once, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to, you know, make sure that uh, people and relationships are in the center of, uh, of my belief system. And this is a book that touches on many of those uh, concepts. Nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna reread it now that you mention it. It's been a uh, multiple years since I've read it. Yeah. Um, what is a book that you would write? Oh, it's a book that I would write. You know, um, I uh, I like sagas, right? Like family sagas, big, big, interesting, um, multi generational stories. So, for example, one of my other favorite book is uh, uh, One Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. mystical village and it's incredible women and men and they are amusing and they are sad and they are magnetic so I'd love to do something like that about my background which is very very uh, different right I mean um, I grew up in 
you know the country was uh, you know bulgaria was part of the you know of the 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 german bloc during the second world war then you know the soviet army came and changed multiple generations and how the different destinies we eat uh, i'd love to write something like that that's awesome like, like that. uh, space, you know so now i'm here <laughs> that's awesome like it's a international multi-generational saga yeah that's really good okay and then uh okay last question and um what does it mean for you to be embossed? <laughs> you know, nobody in, in, in life is truly, you know, there is no such thing, you know, I often say uh, as a self-made man, right? You know, you, we are all a product of, uh, of our families, of our, you know, DNA, of our environment. But to the extent you can, you know, um, trying to live my life in an independent way, you know, independent thinking, independent decisions, and um, just having uh, having the, the bravery to have no regrets, right? Sort of move forward, right? And and look into the future um, without uh, regret. That's amazing. That that is exactly my sentiment with Ambassa. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Simona, you're just uh, one of the 40 few female women CTOs in Chicago that I could find. Um, and I'm doing this for, you know, other young females and making sure that other women stay in tech and continue to grow. I hope they learn awesome lessons here today. So thank you so much and have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye.